Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star sports podcast. The first Chiefs regular season game has arrived, but Chris Jones hasn't. And that's where we'll begin our discussion with columnists Sam McDowell and Vahe Gregorian, along with beat writer Jesse Newell. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We've talked about Chris Jones plenty since OTAs when he didn't show up. That's when we knew he wasn't happy with what the Chiefs were offering in a contract extension. None of us believed then the holdout would endure into the season, but here we are. We discussed the short-term and potential long-term impact of the holdout on Jones and the Chiefs. We also offer up some predictions on a season in which the Chiefs are, or at least entered this week, as the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. Most of those projections, however, included Chris Jones on the team. Okay, let's get started talking Chiefs with Jesse Newell, Sam McDowell, and Vahe Gregorian. We cannot have a conversation about the Chiefs without talking about Chris Jones. I think this is the umpteenth consecutive Chiefs podcast in which Chris Jones is the lead story. So, uh, But this is the first time I think we've all felt that he will not be in uniform for the Chiefs opener on Thursday night against the Detroit Lions. So now we have to talk about the impact of the Chiefs without Chris Jones. I think we have to talk about it short term and long term. So in the short term, Jesse, what will the Chiefs miss without having Chris Jones in the lineup? Yeah, I think Sam's referenced this before, you know. Um, I'm not talking to Sam. I'm talking to you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just reference smart people whenever I talk. And uh, so i got to think of somebody besides Sam now to uh, reference. No, I mean. Well, don't look this way. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I know I see you're not. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm looking all around the room now. Shoot. I'm out of people. No, it's, it's obvious. You know, he's the leader of that team. He makes huge plays. He makes huge plays at huge, mo- huge moments. He, as Sam, smart or not, references a lot, uh, he takes the double teams, and he makes life easier on guys like George Karloftis, potentially a guy like Felix Ndike Uzama. Uh, he's really the linchpin of the defense. And so the Chiefs, without him, are going to have to get creative. It's, it's now not Chris Jones's defense and him leading the charge. It's Steve Spagnuolo leading the charge. It's how can you get manufactured pressure how can you trick the lions into seeing something they don't think they see how can you change up coverages how you get different personnel in there how can you stop them running the football early down so you can get the third down and long uh i think you just go a lot to to back to steve spagnolo and having to rely on him rather than relying on players just lining up and being their guy so there should be some concern with the chiefs i know we've we have all kind of talked about this a little bit where the, the Vegas line doesn't really reflect much right now that Chris Jones is out. When they first came out in May, the Chiefs were six and a half point favorites. Right now, the Chiefs are six and a half point favorites. So uh, maybe Vegas isn't giving that much, as much credence as we're going to in this podcast. But I think we've seen in these huge moments, Chris Jones 
delivers for the Chiefs a lot of times. He did a lot last year, and uh, now the Lions don't have as much to worry about that interior, and uh, the Chiefs really did nothing this offseason to address it uh, or anticipate that Chris Jones would be out, uh, so it leaves them pretty shorthanded for this season opener. Just to refer to your Steve Spagnuolo point, and Blair, I know you're not talking to Steve Spagnuolo. You're, you want to hear it from me, but um, I thought it was interesting today when he was asked, basically, if they have the horses without Chris, and he made a point of not talking about individual players in any way. He talked about how they have to play together, and I, I don't, he, you know, I don't think he was damning with faint praise. I think he just thought that's the real point here. This is the unit they think they can have a good defense with them if they play with certain cohesion and, and you know, some guys have some breakthroughs. But um, let's face it, it's a, it's a dimension that's missing. I was looking through their edge players the other day, and um, I've got it pulled up here again. With Chris Jones, now I'll preface this by saying on and off reports as far as how teams perform with guys on and off the field can, can be misleading. But... I was looking up their edge players, and Karloftis had one sack with Chris Jones off the field last year. Frank Clark had one sack with Chris Jones off the field. Carlos Dunlap had zero. Um, in fact, they only had one player. Mike Dana had zero. Um, so that's their top four defensive ends last year who combined for two sacks with Chris Jones off the field last year. And like I said, on-off reports could be misleading, but those guys get a whole lot of one-on-one matchups with – Chris Jones, and I think it's really interesting to consider, like, the Lions walking up to the line of scrimmage saying, which of these four guys do we want to double-team? Like, they will be sending out running backs on routes, tight ends on routes. There's no need to chip at all because everybody's blockable, I think, on this Chiefs defensive line right now. Well, let's also mention the fact that the Lions can run the hell out of the ball, and Chris Jones improved his run defense a whole heck of a lot last year with more discipline with what he did. And part of those on-off stats you're mentioning, Sam, also go to the point that Chris Jones played it a heck of a lot more last year, more snaps than he ever had before. So yeah. they weren't without him very often last year, which uh, sort of talks about what they're going to be like without him now, which is an unfamiliar place compared to what they were a season ago. I love that on-off stat. I, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's, a, that's a really good. I mean, great stat. And how many telling uh, stat? How, how many combined sacks did Karloftis Dunlap uh, others have? You know. I'm sure, you know, somewhere over twenty-ish. I was going to, I was going to say double digits, somewhere yeah, in double digits. But they needed Chris Jones on the field for for yeah. that to work. That's, yeah. a, that's a heck of a stat. Yeah, yeah. last last year those those same players had, um, you know, Carlotta's had six, so five of his six were, and obviously Jones was on the field more than he was off. I mean, yeah. he was about three quarters. That's what I'm saying. He was out there a lot. But he's got more than three quarters of his sacks with Chris Jones on the field. Frank Clark, it's eight. He had five sacks, so eighty percent of his sacks are with Chris Jones on the field. Mike Dana, all five on the field. Carlos Dunlap, all four. So you add those three together, they get twenty sacks, and ninety percent of them are with Chris Jones on the field. He plays seventy-five percent of the snaps. So obviously, the, those guys are. Look, I don't think we even need the stats to say it, but the stats are there that they're more productive whenever Chris Jones is eating up so much in the middle. Jesse, you mentioned the the line. It hasn't moved, right? Six and it opened at seven. It went to six and a half pretty quickly. It's been six and a half. I was just looking up the May eleventh when DraftKings first came out with it, like way, you know, 
when the but when, at the time in May, you would assume Chris Jones is going to play. All indications were he's going to play. So again, you're right. Other things have happened between now and then that could have affected both teams with additions and subtractions. But the main fact of the matter is, you know, if Pat Mahomes wasn't playing, the Lions would probably be a favorite. I mean, we know how important a quarterback is. Chris Jones not playing. It's not affecting. I actually I texted a buddy out there who who works with sports betting, sports lines, uh, sort of an odds maker, and I said, you know, what are you looking at here? One point, two points, and he said, maybe a half a point with Chris Jones not playing. Maybe a half a point. Mm. So uh, again, I, I think it just goes back to the fact of what actually is reality, and and what also what the Chiefs are negotiating here, which is what we're talking about. I mean, what is the monetary value of a guy on the defensive line when you look at this particular player and this? Uh, particular how, how important he is and we can talk his value in all those senses but what actually is it compared to a quarterback what actually is it compared to a receiver and these are all discussions I'm sure that the, the Chiefs are having and what they have to weigh when they're looking at the potential bottom line on payment that they want to potentially extend to uh, Chris Jones in, in the form of an extension I was also wondering about it in terms of uh, the the season victory total over under for season victory total if if it came to pass that um, I guess there'd be no way of knowing, right? You, you, you're locked in before the season on this, and you just don't know when Chris Jones is going to be available. Sam, you had a stat on that, right? The uh, Chiefs' odds to win the Super Bowl went down slightly. They, well, they were expected to, so I reached out also to an odds maker maybe in July when he didn't report to camp. And um, at that time, I, I believe it was with Bovada, but I'd expected the you know, the Super Bowl odds have changed from like 650 to 700 or so. Um, but, you know, I, last I checked, Chiefs are like 600 now. So, um, look, I, I, I see the bigger picture of it with this. This is this hits at a major uh, roadblock that I think Chris Jones is encountering, which this team just got rid of a superstar last year and won the Super Bowl. And so taking a stance against a team that is literally on the heels of um, having been successful without a star player, I think is really a really tough spot to be. And most players should have leverage in this situation. I still think Chris Jones has leverage in this situation because what we just mentioned, the Chiefs don't have options behind him. They're going to be starting probably Derek Nottie, who had a bad year last year, and Turk Wharton, who had an, an injury last year and was an undrafted free agent to begin with a couple of years ago. Um, from a from a Division two program. Yeah. Um, so, like, they don't have options for them. And I, I think their defensive line is a major concern heading into Thursday night. But the team still runs through Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid. And that's what we're seeing with the odds. And, I mean, undoubtedly, that's, that's what the front office has to consider as well. It, this is sort of in this realm. I hope, and Blair, just re-steer me if uh, I'm taking us a, a, a foot here, obviously. But a field. Um, having him miss this game does something else to this whole quotient, doesn't it, too? I mean, now we, we know we're into this he's going to miss games, most likely games. And how much does it affect your perceptions of, you know, is it, are we really talking about game eight here? I mean, once, once one game's there, how does it open up that, that world? Well, I don't know. Uh, what are... What what are some other examples of players missing, you know, in, in contract disputes, missing an opener, or you know, there's obviously the, the Le'Veon Bell example of missing the entire season in a contract dispute, uh, a decision he later said he regretted. 
doing. But um, I, I don't know, and I, and I also don't know if I don't, I don't know if I completely buy the argument that um, you know Chris half a season of Chris Jones. I, you, you take Chris Jones whenever you get him, um, and would he be a rested player and you know more you know likely to be effective by starting so late? I I would counter that he. Um, wouldn't be in the best football shape. It would take him. He would have missed not only OTAs, training camp, and half a season. I'm not sure he'd ever be what he was. A, a full season, you'd get a, a, a full season Chris Jones in a half a season. So, no way of knowing. But I never thought it would come to this. I didn't think the Chiefs would be confronted with this possibility. And, and I'm and I'm wondering about the whole. Um, you, Sam, you say that Chris Jones still has leverage here, and I, I agree with that. But he's also hurting himself. I mean, yeah. he's, he's, you know, he's taking money out of, you know, out of his bank account, um, leaving yeah, on you the could table. You could potentially be talking about the difference between because I mean, the, the Chiefs and Chris Jones, from my understanding, are talking about like three-year deals right now, and so. He's already under contract for 2023, so really you're talking about two-year extensions. And I know there's been conversation about replacing the old deal. I mean, in the end, yes, all these deals replace the old deal, but you've got the player under contract for $19.5 million this year. That doesn't mean nothing. Like, that factors majorly into what you end up paying them. When rookies come off of rookie deals, yes, you factor in the fact that you've got them under contract for another year. You're not signing a free agent. Here you are signing somebody who's under contract for nineteen and a half million dollars. So, therefore, I mean, you could be talking about the when you're talking about two added years, you could be talking about the difference in as little as like ten million dollars. And Chris Jones has already lost out on two point two million dollars fighting for potentially ten million. He's going to lose another one point one on Thursday night. Now you're at three point three. If he actually does not play through week eight. You would lose $11 million theoretically fighting for something in the neighborhood of $10 million. And by the way, you don't just get that money back. You know, it's not like we're assuming he's going to sign the con- the long term extension in week eight that he's holding right. out for. And that's where your part comes into it as far as whether or not he's hurting himself. It's not just that you, you rob yourself of the money, you rob yourself of the best opportunity to have the best potential contract year you can have. Because the whole point of this is you're going to be in a contract here now. I mean, Chris Jones, whenever he does come back, and people have talked about the tag, that yes, the Chiefs would have the opportunity to tag him, and therefore they've got him under control next year. That number's like $32 million. If the Chiefs were willing to pay Chris Jones $32 million, he'd be here right now in the right. same facility we're recording this. He wouldn't be still holding out. So he'd have to earn that money too, that tag. And he'll be 30 years old next year. I just I have my doubts that he can make – $32 million for multiple years on the open market as a 30-year-old defensive tackle next year. He's got he's – got, so to your point, he, he's got to play and, and prove he can do what he did last year at this age. Tough spot for him and, and the Chiefs. That, like, I, like I said, one we didn't expect to be in. What, so you mentioned Turk Wharton and Derek Noddy are going to start. We saw him in practice today out there with the first-team defense. And – uh, who, who's behind them? Because Steve Spagnuolo said it's a rotation. Who, who lines up with the twos at defensive tackle? Are we looking at uh, Keontre Coburn, the, the rookie? 
Yeah, he was with the twos and threes all training camp, so he seems like a developmental guy. I mean, Neil Farrell, I asked Andy Reid yesterday that if he would play. You know, they just traded for him. But, <laughs> I mean, the guy's game is not – it's pretty transparent. It's like be a big dude in the middle. But this is sort of what I'm talking about. They've got a glut of these tackles now. And so if you're talking about – if you're Steve Spagnuolo and Andy Reid talking about just maximizing your own players and what you have – there's probably something to be said, especially against the Lions, who kind of throw this creative, productive run game against you just to stuff things up, muck things up, and try to get to third and long where you can simulate some pressure, which we know Steve Spagnuolo is really good at, and he's got the pieces to do it, whether it's LeJarrius Sneed or Trent McDuffie or Shamari Connor coming off the edge. So, I don't know. I mean, this thing, who knows with an opening game? I think both sides are probably thinking about this in these terms, which is you don't know exactly what we're going to get from these teams in a game, but... I just think if you're Steve Spagnuolo, you got to look at all your options, all your players. I mean, is it better to throw one of those defensive linemen in there or have Leo Chanel, who's in his second year and can be a run stuffer and you feel more confident in? Uh, do you go to a, like a 3-3-5 for part of the game and and take a lineman off the field to try to muck things up with some of your big dudes? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It just it seems like the Chiefs are now forced. Every coach would love to just line up and play and have your Jimmy beat their Joe, and it feels like the Chiefs now are are going to have to scheme it up. This is a scheme it up game now without Chris Jones because um, other than the secondary taking a step and being better and the linebackers, you know, being a year older and, and the kind of solid contributors we think they are up front, it's it's just different from a year ago and not as good as from a year ago. Uh, so the Chiefs are going to have to do some things to manufacture things up front because uh, their Jimmys aren't as good as the Joes are going against, and I think that's pretty clear. Who gets sacks for the Chiefs? Who are the, who are the top candidates for sacks, if there are to be any, on Thursday night? Jamari Connor. Yeah, I mean, I, I would really think it's. I think we're looking at blitz packages yeah. now. They can move, and they will move Mike Dana inside on third and long plays that, that Jesse described. Um, but yeah, I, I don't foresee them getting sacks. Just just mm-hmm. rushing forward with the group that they have. Right not, now. not from the linemen. The other problem yeah. too is Jared Goff is so good when he's not pressured. I mean, we can even go back to like the Chiefs playing him previously, and uh, you know, in that game that was a huge shootout. But uh, his numbers are just so different, and. Yeah, you got to figure out a way to get to him because you rattle him a little bit, you got a chance. But um, it is, this is a this this could be a lot of points, guys. Uh, this could be going back to the Chiefs' old days with Patrick Mahomes when he had even less of a defense compared to a year ago. And you just got to go out there and win a shootout, and that might be what they ask Patrick Mahomes to do this game. So we can ask this. Uh, well, we can ask it of every game because the Chiefs are favored in practically every game. But should literally they, every game? They, yeah. Literally yeah, every yeah. game. Um, and but. To what extent should they be on upset alert for Thursday night? Um, well, I think reasonably. I mean, I, I, I don't assume this is a win. I, I believe they'll win. But I, I'm really interested just in that first half. Tone setting, it, you know, to, to Jesse's point about are they going to be able to generate any, any pressure at all? And, I mean, if, if it becomes a shootout, you know, I, I, you'd like the Chiefs' chances. But I also think that uh, – that means there's a coin toss, you know, as Sam likes to say, literally a coin toss game. I don't know about that, but I, I, I think it could be really interesting game. And I, I still, I don't quite know. I don't quite know what to expect from the offense just yet. Um, I think they'll be polished. I think the line's going to give them a chance to do more things. I I actually like this receiver group, but it's all really unknown. What is Sam, that line you like vanilla, 
uh, ice cream drawing. I'm pretty sure that was your line. <laughs> <laughs> we just haven't seen it, right? <laughs> Sam, I'm interested to hear your take because there's some human factors in this as well. Uh, it does sound like the Lions are really looking forward to this game because if you think about them, you know, Dan Campbell started last year, looked like he was on the hot seat, then they got hot late. They had that big game against the Packers at the end of the season, but they seem to be a team that's like really looking forward to this matchup. Jared Goff said he's never played at Arrowhead. Right. It's the first time he's yeah. playing there. A lot of guys looking forward to this. And I know like the Chiefs went in to New England after they were celebrating and were all jacked up to play that game and, and were pretty emotional and won. So I think there's some human element to this game as well that's kind of uncertain, which is we know the Chiefs are going to be the hunted, but kind of right away we get to see what that looks like because the Lions seem like a very hungry type team and you come into an arrowhead that's very happy with a banner celebration coming down. So uh, I think the Chiefs are getting tested in that particular way right away. It's different than 2020 uh, when the Chiefs were playing their first game after winning the Super yeah. Bowl 54. With um, There were 15,000 at Arrowhead that night because of the pandemic. There was a solidarity uh, thing for George Floyd and, and that. It was just totally different than what, we're, what we, we expect to see on Thursday. Um, the place will be packed uh, as it always is. And there will be a banner ceremony. But it's funny how we've asked coaches and players about it this week, and they're all kind of dismissive of the, the whole thing. They, they, they don't want to be part of it. They, they've gotten their rings and had all the parties, and they're ready to move on. And we talked to Travis Kelsey today, and he was you know, pretty adamant about it. Doesn't, he doesn't want to take part in the ceremony. I guess they'll be on the field for it. You've got to be on the field for a banner yeah. raising, but they don't want to, they're done with it. Yeah, and the, the other difference is they didn't celebrate the Super Bowl all that summer because of COVID. They didn't go to the White House that summer. They didn't have, you know, their ring ceremony was just like basically an extension of training camp. It was out of the stadium. They didn't have the big night for that. So um, they haven't been, they weren't constantly reminded of what they had accomplished, like the way they have been this summer. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I talked to James Winchester in the locker room today, and he talked about just how pumped they were to go play that game in New England. He said you could just feel it in the locker room before the game that they were going to win the game mm-hmm. because they were getting to play the champs, and he just said that, that was a team you wanted to be, and therefore you had to beat them. And, you know, talked to Drew Tranquil, who was with the Chargers, and he said you would – I asked him at what point during the week would you start – would that actually affect you? Would you start really getting amped for the game? And he said you had to be careful weeks ahead of time playing before the Chiefs that you weren't already looking at that game because you were so excited to play the defending champions. So it's a real thing that I think no team, no team's going to come out flat. Um, you know, I talked to Steve Spagnola today as well. He said we saw in the first preseason game, he said New Orleans was jacked to play us in a preseason game. And so I think the Lions especially, it's it's already at, at that level, I think, with any team that would come in here. But the Lions think that they're a lot better than what they it's finished It's a prove-it game, man. So, yeah, this is a prove-it game for the Lions. Right? Yes. I mean, it just completely yes. fits it. It's, it's just a, it's a, I know a lot of people were confused when this was the opening game. I think it's a really intriguing game for both teams um, and therefore for the NFL as well. Well, it is interesting too. I mean, right? They made the Chiefs made a concerted effort to declare that ring ceremony. That's it. You know, that's the end end of the celebration. They certainly talked that way ever since, right? I mean, anybody all through camp is talking about that was last season, that was last season. But still putting it in operation the first game, that's another sort of, to your point, prove it for the Lions, but also prove it for the Chiefs. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the – 
I know the next. We're going to talk so much about trying to repeat and all those things. And the Chiefs, again, they came an eyelash away from it. If they had one less offensive line injury, we might be talking about them doing it. So I I don't want to call a whatever 14-1 season a failure. But this is what you face. You are everybody's best shot. (laughs) You are everybody's Super Bowl. And especially in the season opener, especially on national television, especially for a Detroit Lions team trying to show it's up on the upper echelon after just missing the playoffs last year. Uh, it, it seems like that could be a major factor. I've gone back and forth with how they handled this last time because they were 14-1 and with the starters. They set everyone against Justin Herbert. And then really, I mean, they were 17-1, and including the playoffs before you run into uh, the injuries in the Super Bowl. However, that was the year they won like eight straight one-score games. Second, a, second half of the season. Yeah, it was an NFL record. Um, so, I mean, we all called the Vikings lucky last year because all they were doing was winning one-score games. We didn't call the Chiefs lucky because we thought, well, this is a good team that's finding ways to win. There's a lot of luck involved in the way they went 14-1 and that year. And, you know, yesterday when I asked Mahomes about that, I thought he gave a really interesting answer that basically was like, we were content with winning. We weren't building mm-hmm. at that point. And everybody else was building. And regardless of the injuries, Tampa Bay clearly had gotten better from the time they met the Chiefs, the time they reached the Super Bowl. We don't know if the Chiefs did because of the the, the injury stuff, but um, I think the record was a little bit deceptive that year as far as how they handled being defending champions, and they will have to handle that aspect differently this year. It's such an interesting question because, I mean, I remember feeling like, okay, those games, are the, they're not pretty, but they're kind of the mortar of making you who you are and you can keep winning. They had won, to your point, it was actually so twenty-five out of twenty-six games they'd won, right? The last eight, and then throw out the right, throw out yeah. the one. So by the time they got to the Super Bowl, they'd won twenty-five out of twenty-six games. Hard to do. <laughs> and so it it just because of that, I find it difficult to think. Well, they just weren't on their game, and but but you are right. It, you know if you're building or if you're just treading water, even when you're winning. Are you are you really just getting by? Were they getting better? The X factor remains the three injured linemen too many to, to exactly know. Or, but it, I find that really intriguing. It's a really interesting thought. I remember thinking Tampa Bay in that regular season game in, in uh, 2020, they started getting better in the second quarter did, of the Chiefs yeah. game. Yeah. After Tyree Kill blistered them in the first quarter, three touchdowns and about 200 yards receiving. I don't think the Chiefs score in that second half or maybe just once in maybe that a field, second maybe half. Maybe or a field yeah. goal, but I remember it was yeah. 21 nothing Chiefs right off, the, you know, before yeah. the game even yeah. started it seemed like. You know, I wrote a little story about Mahomes' success in opening games. You know, the Chiefs have won all five of Mahomes' starts. They're 9 and 1 under Andy Reid in opening games. But um four of those five games uh for that Mahomes has started the opener basically blowouts two, you know, two score or more victories, 18 touchdown passes, no interceptions in those games. They're ridiculous stats. But the one close one in that stretch reminds me of this matchup. It was the Cleveland Browns two years ago. Chiefs had beat them in the playoffs the previous year, so the Browns come in and they want to prove that they were the better team. And They came in all fired up, and, and they had a nine-point lead in the fourth quarter of that game. And then Mahomes goes 75 yards to Tyreek Hill, and then another touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey and pull it out at the end. But this, for whatever reason, this I, I think this game sets up more like that one than the previous, the other ones that Mahomes won by double digits.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so this is the only time we get a chance to like talk about subjects like this, so I thought we would take the opportunity to get a couple of predictions slash thoughts from you. Jesse, I know this this will be right in your wheelhouse. Wheelhouse, baby. <laughs> who will the who will be the Chiefs leading wide receiver this year in terms of yards? Before you even ask the question, I was gonna say Sky Moore. <laughs> even if you if you said who's gonna lead them in passing yards, sure. I would have said Sky Moore and just said it right there, but uh, no, he's the pick. Uh, I, I've been on the record for 900-plus for him. I think this is his year. I talked to him today in the locker room, and he said that he expects to have the Juju Smith-Schuster role this year, which he was, Juju was, the top receiver for the Chiefs last year. Where with, with 900 or so yards. 900, uh, yeah, I had exactly, or 925, I think it was, whereas Sky Moore had 250. Uh, 933 receiving yards. Mm-hmm. 78 catches, 933. Sky Moore last year had 22 for 250. So, yeah, I'm going with Sky Moore. I think he'll have 900-plus. Uh, and again, that is expecting he stays healthy, but I think the intermediate routes, the sit routes, relying on him on third down, being a reliable receiver, and just being another year in the offense, I think he's ready for a huge jump. I think he'll be the Chiefs' leading receiver, wide receiver in terms of uh, receptions and and yards. I think in terms of yards per reception, it'll be MVS. Uh, and uh, again, just just to talk about the wide receivers. Uh, for another moment, it, to hear Brett Veach, you mentioned it earlier, Sam, uh, the, the roles that Justin Ross and, um, and R- Rushy Rice are going to play, it, it, I started thinking, well, that's why they kept seven wide receivers and only, you know, which limited the number of other positions, quarterbacks, on, on offense anyway, um, running backs, because they're going to use these two wide receivers in different types of roles. I mean, the, um, you can use Justin Ross like a tight end or the end zone. He could be the Jody Fortson type of guy, right? Um, so I, I don't see big numbers coming from those two guys, but but uh, but they, they potentially could be impactful players. Yeah, I and mean, I think Rashi Rice is their best after the catch guy. Sky Moore could be good in that role too, but um, I think I, look, Rashi Rice if he opens the year as a as a package player, is the way Veach described him. I still think by the end of the year he's got to be a more regular guy than Sky Moore was at the end of the year last year. Um, but I agree with Jesse in your pick. You know, I think Sky Moore is probably the safe pick because he's going to play the most. And MVS has had way too many years to prove to us he could be a go-to guy, and has never caught 700 yards in a season. But really, I, I don't think the Chiefs have a 1,000 yard receiver outside of you know. I mean. If we're, if we're calling Travis Kelsey a tight end, it's fascinating because we talk about Justin Ross playing the the uh, Jody Fortson role as the tight end receiver. If you watch how they use the package plays of of Rashi Rice in there, they use a lot in blocking and has a physical player. So it's funny the Chiefs had so much success last year by going to more tight ends, more tight ends, more tight ends, and this year it's sort of like they have two receivers who are functioning as tight ends as receivers. So it's it's just it's kind of fascinating how this whole thing has grown with the Chiefs and how they've kind of evolved in that sort of way. Where last year they kind of took advantage of the NFL, went to more tight ends, and now we see like the Bills drafting Dalton Kincaid or wants to catch up to the Chiefs. 
And now the Chiefs are looking at this a little bit different way with seven receivers and saying, hey, we got these two receivers, but we're going to kind of use them in different ways that a tight end would be used. So I'll be kind of fascinated to see how these Packers plays work out. To Sam's point as well, uh, they gave Rashi Rice a lot to do in the preseason, had tested him a lot of different ways. And as, uh, you know, as Brett Veach said, those guys will start as package players if their production merits otherwise they could move on up. But as of right now, it's pretty obvious that MVS and Sky Moore are the top two receivers. Those are going to be the guys they rely on uh, with the first unit to start the season. Okay, a lot of conversation about Rashi Rice. Is he going to be the member of the draft class who makes the biggest impact? Well, it sure feels like that to me right now. Um, I, I'm not sure who – I've got to look back down in here and think to myself who's going to make a more – have a, a bigger presence. I mean, we all want Felix to – to be something that he doesn't seem quite ready to be yet. Uh, at least that was through most of camp the perception. Um, I think Jamari Connor's the other candidate. By and we're, we're going to see him. We're going to see him in a lot of packages, aren't we? Yeah. And we we, we did see Jamari Connor a lot with Lajarius Snead out. And Lajarius is going to play on Thursday. Right. I'm. I still think he's got a role on the defense. But in terms of snaps, I actually think. I mean, those Rice, are the two that are going to get snaps, play. right? Yeah. Rice and Connor, because Wani is obviously a backup. Colburn's going to have to play with Chris Jones out. We don't know how much, but he's going to have to. I mean, they're going to need everybody on the defensive line. Felix looks like a third-down rusher, a uh, specialty sort of player for, for them to be able to come in a pass rush situation. They do rotate situations. their defensive ends a lot. So, I mean, I, I envision Felix um, still getting, you know, 30% of the snaps. Three snaps or so. Yeah. It's a good question, though. I mean, it really is. Like, we just said that. Rashi Rice is a package player to start the year, but he might be the one we expect to have the most snaps. It's, it's between those three, or among those three, him, Shamari, and, and Felix, you would think. I'm wondering, though, because, I mean, this is obviously pretty indicative of how different the draft class is from last year. And I've said this a thousand times, but I still think in 15 years we'll be looking at the 22 draft class as an outlier, not a trend. But I don't think any of us would have picked Josh Williams at this time last year playing at the lot. I don't think any of us would have picked Jalen Watson playing a lot. Um, so there's still time for these guys to, to develop into something that's a more regular contributor. But there were guys at the onset we did think last year were going to make a, a pretty yeah. good contribution, especially with Pacheco. And we knew Karloftis was going to be starting. McDuffie. And McDuffie was going to be starting. And Sky, listen, catches a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. It has yeah, a big punt yeah. return against the Bengals. Brian Cook was going to be the third safety, yeah. moving to the second one most likely with Mont Thornhill moving on. Yeah. But I remember talking at the end of training camp last year in a radio interview, and they were asking me kind of the story of camp. I remember saying the rookies. Because we all, like you said, Sam, it wasn't every rookie, but there were enough to say, hey, these guys are further along than we would have anticipated when they first got drafted. That hasn't been the case this year with this group. But as you said, I think that's because last year was the outlier, not this year was the outlier. Yeah. Okay, and finally, uh, let's. I'm going to assume we all think the Chiefs are going to win the division. Who's the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC West and then over in the, in the AFC overall? I mean, the Chargers still are their biggest threat. Um, I think the Chargers are interesting because Justin Herbert's got all the talent in the world. I, I think he's one of the best five quarterbacks in the game. But um, they threw the ball horizontally last year. They have a new offensive coordinator, which I think could make them considerably better. But their receivers are aging. so um, And then they're the Chargers. So they, they, they tend to not meet expectations. Um, so I still think the Chargers are a playoff team, especially with seven getting in. Um, not convinced that Russell Wilson at 35 is suddenly going to be better at avoiding sacks. 
and I think the Raiders could wind up being one of the worst teams in the AFC record-wise because of the, the division that they're playing. Um, and then division-wise, or conference-wise, I, I feel like I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth on the Bills because if the Bills took a step back, it would not shock me. But if we're talking about late in the season when they play the Chiefs and then when they could potentially meet them in the playoffs, I expect they'll have a healthy Von Miller. And I think Von Miller was the difference at Arrowhead last year. And so while I don't think the Bills are going to get – let's take the Chiefs out of the equation. I don't think the Bills will have the best non-Chiefs record in the AFC. But I think in January that will be their, their toughest matchup in the playoffs. I'm with Sam. Kellen Moore is the X factor with the Chargers. Plus, I mean, we're literally talking about two eyelashes that kept the Chargers from sweeping the Chiefs last year, right? Yeah. A Jalen Watson 99-yard pick six and a Chiefs crazy two-minute drive uh, in L.A. to be able to win that game at the end. So it's not like the Chargers' margin of error here is just completely off base with competing with the Chiefs. Those two games go a different way. We're probably talking about a different season for both. So, uh, yeah, you have to say the Chargers. I know they're the sports writer favorite every time at this time of year, but there's a reason for that, and I think the Kellen Moore hire does give them optimism at OC, and I, I hate to agree with the smart guy in the room, Sam, again, but I I think people are chewed out on the Bills um, based off of how last year ended. Uh, I, Josh Allen's injury, and he, that he played through it, but he was not as effective as he was before. Um, both him and Herbert, I think they both could go back to – previous levels before they played through injuries last year and if they get back to that point then I think both those teams are pretty formidable so uh, I'll say Bills but man if nothing else let's let's hope that the Chiefs and Bengals meet up again sometime in the playoffs because that sure is a lot of fun you know nothing really to add to your points are great Uh, I I do think the thing that's different this camp than last year I don't think Andy Reid had to bring up whether you know the Chiefs are chopped liver in the division this time around I think you know there's a fairly healthy uh, assumption the Chiefs are, are the best in the, in but you wonder the, if I helped him last year. Well, yeah, I know. We're always looking for the chip. Yeah. It, it, you know, you never. It, I mean, Kelsey said at the AFC Championship, right? When he got up there, nobody believed in us, this sort of thing. You remember? He said after the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, that's. I, but but listen, that's what you want your players to say. Like you want them to get up every morning and say that one guy from ESPN said that it wasn't yeah, going to be any good, absolutely. and, and to, to get him up in the morning. You know, like you want your players to to feel that, even if maybe you don't want them to say it all the time, because again, the Chiefs weren't super duper underdogs last year i mean let's we don't have to get it twisted but you want your players to feel that way there's no doubt about that for sure well the only other thought i was going to add is just i wonder if this is the year we finally see patrick mahomes play a road playoff game mm. one day it will happen yeah <laughs> well it, it's they, remarkable they haven't been the It'd number be one seed watch. yeah they haven't been the number one seed each time but they right. were, the, when just they weren't the number one lost yeah. and yeah. she's got to play at home so it'd be, be fun to watch it happen if it does the I, super bowl kind of right? you think the bills too then I do. I look. I, I like the Bills. I mean, I, I see what you're saying about you know the possibility of a step back, but I don't know. I don't think. I I, I think they're still pretty salty. Um, I wonder about Jacksonville. Uh, I I think th- th- I like how they're coached, and I like the quarterback, and I think they're in the not only are they in the easiest division in the AFC in the in the South, which they should go six and zero in those games. They that division plays the NFC uh, South. So oh, wow. they're going to have the record. Uh, yeah, whether wow. they'll have the team, they'll have the record. And that's why these head-to-head meetings, like it's week two for the Chiefs, you know, playing in 100-degree temperatures in Jacksonville, yeah. it's an important game. They play all those teams. I mean, the Bengals, the Jaguars, yeah. the Bills. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's yeah. a part of well, the Which got me thinking, at what point does playing a first-place schedule year after year after year finally catch up with the Chiefs? Well, it 
perhaps in a year they don't have their best defensive player. Uh, would be a, a time to think about that. Well, and add that in with the whole thing of the, the sort of compression point of the long long seasons every year, too. All these things are, are things that are really hard to get your arms around, like what is the tangible impact, but but surely these things are, are part of it. Theoretically, it should help them just because, I mean, sometimes you mentioned it with the Jaguars. They need the Jaguars to lose at some point, and they get the advantage of handing one to them, but... These past few years, they've lost all these games. They lost to the Bengals back-to-back years in the regular season. They lost to the Bills back-to-back years in the regular season. They haven't helped themselves get the number one seed. They've had to rely on other teams to take care of that, too. It's funny how it's worked out for the Chiefs. They just um, – they they always rise to the occasion in the playoffs. They do. They, they have not – I mean, yes, they, uh, they played a bad second half against the Bengals. That, to me, is the – it's the only, it's it's the only fault of Patrick Mahomes in his you know five plus years in Kansas City is that second half against the Bengals, in the AFC title game, you're allowed one. <laughs> that's the one. That's only it. one though, Blair. That's, that's, that's it. it. That's no it. more. <laughs> Guys, thanks for the conversation. Thanks, Blair. That'll do it for today. Thanks to Randy Mason for producing the show, and to our Sportsbeat KC crew of Monty Davis, Todd Feeback, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Tip of the cap to Sam McDowell, Jesse Newell, and Vahe Gregorian for sharing their insights. A transcript of part of this conversation will be available in Thursday's print edition of the Kansas City Star. The best digital sports page in America is the Morning Sports Edition. Local coverage of the Chiefs, Royals, colleges, soccer, the high schools, along with national and international sports coverage all in one place. Find it at liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in and around Kansas City. Mm-hmm.